As you're seated, say it, I'm a doer, not a hearer only. I want to, to uh, go a little bit further in this particular area of our walk of faith and uh, discuss how to be a doer in what we would call a very antagonistic culture. Have you noticed that this world's not cheering you on uh, <laughs> in your obedience to the Lord? Go with me over to James again, chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1, 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Turn to somebody and tell them, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom or liberty and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, a couple of principles here for you. If, um, if we hear something, if we're exposed to something in the Word, and then we don't go out and do it, that's proof that we've forgotten it. It's tacit to, you know, proof that we have already lost grasp of what we have heard. And that's, uh, that's commonplace in the body of Christ. And one of the things you want to do if you're going to be a serious believer in these end times is make up your mind that you're not just going through a service, hearing a sermon, hearing a lesson, going to Sunday school, whatever, but you're going there for action steps. Come on, shout that out, action steps. I'm not going there to be religious. I'm not going there to look like I'm something, you know, in terms of the faith. I'm going there because I'm going to pick up something that if I do is going to change my life. And it's going to change somebody else's life. It's going to help them in their walk if I walk out of here with a mindset to do. So it's, it's just a different attitude. It's a different mindset than so many people in the church have. That I'm not here just to go through the motions, check off the box. I'm looking for that nugget. I'm looking for that revelation that when applied, it's going to affect change in me and help other people as well. The other thing is that when you have made up your mind that you're going to be a doer of the Word, you're going to be blessed in whatever part of the Word you're doing. Whatever it is. It's not just some scriptures have a blessing on it. Are you here tonight? All scripture has a blessing on it. It's all God's Word. It's all breathed. Amen. Through the agency of man, through the Spirit of God, we understand how that works. The holy men of God, God would breathe on them and carry them along. But the result is that it's all anointed, it's all perfect, it's all infallible, and it's all blessed. And so if you find yourself doing something, you know, of the Word, you can expect a corresponding blessing to that. That means that uh, you could be as blessed as you want to be. Empowered to prosper, uh, succeed, excel, bear much fruit, uh, go to the highest heights, you know, increase in every area of life. You are as blessed as you want to be based on what you're doing with the Word of God. That's exciting when you think about it because nobody can stop your blessing. Nobody but you. Uh, you're the only one at the end of the day that determines you know, what you're going to do with the things that you hear. And so the, the culture, the real cultural war is the war on the believer to try to get you to stop doing the plain teachings of Scripture. So you will not be effective, you will not increase, you will not be empowered to succeed, you will not be the greatest version of yourself. 
Uh, should we, you know, uh, be engaged in this culture? You know, attention. Should we try to influence this? Yes, influence the culture for sure. But the main thing you need to be focused on is doing what God said. That's right. If you'll do what God said, you'll impact this world. Uh, so uh, you can just shout at the darkness or you can make up your mind. You're going to do what's really going to make a difference and do what God says to do. Be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Because when you do the word, remember this, doing the word releases the power that's on it to bring itself to pass in your life. So uh, nobody can stop me from being blessed but me. Look at somebody and tell them, you're as blessed as you want to be. Now, you know, it's, it's hard for people that have never been taught these things. But uh, having been taught these things, it's easy for us to turn up the blessing in our own lives. I want to see you turn up the blessing in your lives. Just like you can turn it up, though, guess what? You can also turn down. And by that, I mean the manifestation of the blessing. It's still there and available. But it's only manifesting to the degree that you're actually doing what God said. So it's so important uh, that we actually do what we hear. Write this down. Doing is the supreme expression of your faith. Doing is the supreme expression of your faith. You, you don't really believe something unless you're doing it. In fact, you only uh, you know, do the things that you believe. The reason you're not doing them is you don't believe them. You believe something enough, you're actually going to put that into practice in your life. And, uh, you know, we talked about this briefly, and I don't know how far we're going to go into this. On Sunday, introduce this. But there are three specific areas that you should make up your mind tonight that you're going to do. And you're going to do this with consistency. And the first area, of course, we just simply call the foundations. These are things the Word of God has covered. You and I can't pretend we've never heard a message on prayer. <laughs> nope. Can I have an amen? amen? We cannot pretend we never heard a message on the tithe. That's right. We cannot pretend we've never heard a message on our faithfulness in the house of God. That's right. Raise your hand if that's true. In other words, there are things the Word plainly teaches. And Hebrews talks about this, baptisms of faith. You know, and, and doctrines such as laying on the hands. These things are supposed to be elementary in the house of God. We've heard them. And so we should be doing with consistency the foundations. Um, you know, yes, I, I think it's possible for us to stray in our hearts and get lazy, whatever, and stop doing the foundations. But these are things that you and I should be able to, to do with consistency now and not even think about. It should be automatic to us by now. Mm-hmm. Look at somebody who said automatically obedient. <laughs> no struggle. Amen. That's right. Everybody say no struggle. No struggle. You just simply live your life on autopilot when it comes to the foundations of God. Well, I like to say that that's that's true across the country, but it's not. I like to say it's true of everybody in the Christian church. It's not. I like to say it's true of everybody in this church, but it's not. Unfortunately, after decades, some people still struggle with the foundations. What they don't realize is they've made a decision not to be as blessed as they could be. Our sister prayed about people that, that are not engaged in the house of God. Uh, right now, we don't have Sunday night services. We have Sunday morning. Like, what is that? It's, it's, a, it's not so much as a, as a message for tonight. It's just an illustration. But there's no one that sat under this ministry that, that doesn't know that we don't need to be forsaking ourselves. I mean, we don't need to be ignoring the importance. And when the devil moved during COVID and cut people off from the house of God, some of those folks have never recovered. And they may not recover. Because the government, in a lot of ways, told us that 
if there are 10,000 people in the streets protesting, then you don't need to wear a mask or social distance. But if there are 20 people in church, you better mask and distance. In other words, very quickly into this debate came politics and the culture. We had pastors in Canada that are still in jail right now for doing what I'm doing right now, simply preaching and teaching the gospel. We had people that were cited by ha for having church in a parking lot. They weren't even in the building. <laughs> Meanwhile, across the state, they were protesting, and the police would not do a thing about it. Now, this is not a debate about vaccine or COVID or not COVID. I'm just simply telling you that the real target of the devil was to stop people from obeying God. And how, how dare we continue to let the devil stop us from obeying God? You see this? It's foundations. Yes. Amen? Sunday morning, Barb, where do you go? Church. You go to church. If the church is open Wednesday night, where do you go? Church. Church. Foundations. And I'd like to tell you that, that you could advance in the blessing by ignoring the foundations, but you can't. Amen. I'm, I'm here to help you, and the only way I can help you is to tell you the truth. That's right. That's right. The apostle said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Well, pastors just say that because they want people to come. Well, of course they want you to come. If they care at all about your soul, they want you to come. Yes. But there's a bigger issue here at play, and that is you setting yourself up to be a doer and not a hearer. My point is people have heard this for decades and still struggle with the foundations. Thank you for your enthusiasm over this revelation tonight. Come on, say, I'm going to do the foundations. What you find in the Word of God, what you have been taught and instructed about, you, you just do. No, we're just, uh, we engage. We, we shouldn't fight over things like what happens when you get born again. Well, you should be baptized. Amen? Do you know that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is also a foundational issue? It's become a big to-do and big controversy, you know, but God's even moving on people like Max Lucado, who now says that there is no such thing as cessation of the spiritual gifts in the church. He now teaches that there is a present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's quite a move from, I guess, his background is Church of Christ, unless somebody correct me. I believe that's the case. But the point is, he's, he's actually letting the Spirit of God guide and direct and lead and develop him. And, you know, in the... Um, in the golden years of his ministry, he's, he's coming out with some very powerful statements. But guess what? This is tinker toys. This is not supposed to be something that's complicated. <laughs> you should see some of your faces right now. <laughs> Everybody say, God bless us. <laughs> uh, the baptism and spiritual gifts, that's not supposed to be high, something highfalutin, you know, for a PhD in theology, people. You get born again. You get spirit-filled, amen, you get your prayer language, and you go out there and you let the Lord lead you, let the Spirit of God lead you and guide you and direct you in what you're doing. But guess what? It's just foundations. Amen. Now, watch and see if you don't see the same thing I see. In, in the foundations, it's, it's, real, it's real easy to focus on taking what Jesus said and, and simplifying your, your daily life. How do I keep all these laws? How do I keep all these things the Bible says? Just keep the law of love and you'll be in good shape. Yep. Love the Lord your God with all your, with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. On, the, on these what? On these principles, on these commands hang what? All the law and all the prophets. What he's saying is if you fulfill the law of love, then you're consistently going to keep 
you know, all of these as well, because love will do no harm to its neighbor, and love will not grieve the heart of God. No, if you love God, you're not going to take his name in vain. No. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder them. <laughs> and just for the record, thou shalt not kill does not mean thou shalt not take a life. It means thou shalt not murder unjustifiably, not because of defense or because of war, understand what the Word of God says. Uh, for example, taking the life of an unborn baby is murder. Yes, if you yes. love God, you're not going to do that. I don't care if you got a collar on or not, professing you're a Christian and supporting abortion at the same time. You don't know your God if you think it's okay to murder the unborn. Amen. Bottom line, you just don't know. You don't love Him because you're violating those commands. Why are you violating the Ten Commandments? Because you don't love God. Amen. Why don't we keep the foundations? Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, if you love me, if you claim to love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. So when you find a commandment in the foundations throughout the word of God, it's plain, it's written, there's no debate there. We're not talking about things that maybe are hard to understand in the apocalyptic literature and Daniel, maybe in Revelation, just the plain teachings of Scripture. When the Scripture says, forgive as you've been forgiven, how many know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what he meant there? Forgive because you've been forgiven. Right. Don't skip church. Right. That's it. Amen? Don't withhold your tithe. On and on we go, and yet, amen. And so... The, the level that you can go in terms of the blessing is directly proportionate to your level of obedience, starting with foundations. Yeah. If uh, we're not walking as far as we want to, it's, it's, it's not everybody else's fault. No. All we have to do is just look in the mirror. And I mean by the mirror, I mean this mirror. And read, but don't forget what you have read. And do the things that you've actually read. So if I'm taking notes tonight, where I'm sitting where you are right now, I'm thinking to myself, okay, am I coming faithfully? Check. Am I tithing? Check. Am I forgiving? Check. And, and as you go through the Word of God, you're, you're grateful. Don't be braggadocious or prideful about it. Amen. Thank God you're doing that. But it doesn't stop with the foundations. It moves, number two, to the convictions. Um, have you ever been minding your own business thinking you're doing okay and then all of a sudden you're praying and the Holy Ghost points something out in your attitude or your conduct or your behavior? Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, convicting the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us in John that the Spirit will convict the world of sin. Yes, now there's some preachers say, well, that's just for the world. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Right now, you're not of the world, but you're where? You're in the world and the Spirit of God still convicts Christians of their sin. Yes. A better Holy Ghost amen than that. Amen. He still convicts Christians of their sins. Amen. And then if he doesn't, then who's convicting you? No, he still convicts us of our sins. Uh, and, you know, Catholics don't have everything wrong. And when they teach, you know, little ones about sins of omission and sins of commission... It's perfectly biblical. And James said, to him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him, what? That is sin. So foundations are clear from Scripture. Uh, conviction has to do with the Spirit of God telling us, hey, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, or you're not doing something that you what? That you should be doing. And with the heart that wants to, you know, to, to walk in the greatest level of blessing and, and walk in, in, a, in a position where you're really loving the Lord, you don't mind conviction. 
And if you're not being convicted in a while, you need to be concerned about that. Uh, either one or two things is true. Either you're not picking this up because of where your heart is right now, or you, you're perfect. <laughs> you've, <laughs> you've arrived. Did anybody here arrive? This year, and if you arrived, okay. Just checking, you know, because I'd, I'd like to shake your hand, hug your neck, and get your signature, even get your autograph, because right here, Murray, Kentucky, someone has arrived, and we should, we should celebrate that, praise the Lord. Um, you, uh, you will be convicted from time to time. Yes. Now, uh, not encouraging you to go to the brewery and check this out, but, you know, when they first started, uh, you, know, you know, creating and manufacturing plants all over the country, one of the processes, especially when they would bottle beer, you know, uh, in the bottles, they, they'd go towards the assembly line and they would shine a very, very great light. Now, all this is done automated now, but back in the old days, there'd be somebody sitting there when these bottles would come off the line and they would have this light shining through them to find out just how pure they are. And guess what? The closer the bottles got to the light, the more the impurity would show up. And the closer you get to him, and this is one of the reasons why people even subconsciously keep their distance. Turn to somebody and tell them, don't keep your distance from him. He's not trying to hurt you. Come on, say it with me. Conviction is good. Repentance is good. They're not the same thing. You get convicted and then you Repent, but it is the grace of God that He does what? He draws you and then accepts your repentance. How much does He love us to give us this, this ability to do this? So the closer you get to Him, are the convictions going to be minimized or going to be greater? They're going to be greater because there are things that are in your life right now that shouldn't be there. He just hasn't disclosed it to you yet. And it's not people's job to disclose it to you. We are not the Holy Spirit for one another. Now, we can hold each other accountable on plain, you know, things that we're dealing with, and that's always appropriate in the, in the house of God. But, uh, you know, a couple years from now, as you continue to grow, He's going to show you things that don't need to be in your life, in your heart. Sometimes, you know, you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, I'm doing certain things right and I'm not doing these things. But all of a sudden, He begins to minister to you and show you how your heart's not as clean as you thought it was. Yes. Amen. Yes. You know, only God can do that. Yes. Say it would be, only God can show me the true condition of my heart. What did Jeremiah say? Without being born again and without the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the heart is desperately deceitful. What is it? It's impossible, basically, for a human to, without God's intervention, right, to know exactly the condition. But I just don't want to focus on, on, on the things you shouldn't be doing. There are often times we're not doing things we should be doing. And they'll come along and they'll tell you. Um, and it can be, as, as, and I'm, not, I'm not really talking about static things and existing things, a matter of, you know, of living, a matter of attitude over your life. So there are foundations you need to do. There are convictions that you need to do. And what else are there? There are directives you need to be paying attention to. And this is when... Beyond the foundations, beyond the conviction of stop doing this or start doing this, are things in real time that he needs you to be listening to. 
Now you can imagine that somebody who won't even pay attention to the foundations is probably not a candidate to experience what it means to deal with directives. Directive is, Jonah, go to Nineveh, love God. What was his response? No, I think so. I think I'll go in the other direction. And whether it is pride or fear or wanting them to get what they deserve, then they deserved a lot. Uh, he, he didn't want to go. That's a directive. Ananias, I want you to go find Saul. Um, he's a murderer, Lord, as if the Lord didn't know that. He's right, you know, gathering people up and charging them and executing them. Uh, Lord, didn't you hear what, what, what they did to Stephen? I mean, didn't you catch, didn't you read that in the Bible, Lord, where they, <laughs> they, they knocked, they wiped him out? Uh, Lord, I, I heard about that. Um, <laughs> now go to him. And he, of course, received the directive. Uh, lots of us would, would love to have stories, you know, to tell when God does great things in us or through us, around us, but that requires that you hear the directive and do it. Amen? Imagine you're on the backside of life, you're in an ice, and you have this story to tell. And you're just transparent with the people. Lord said, go. I didn't want to go. Lord said, go. I said, I don't want to go. I argued with the Lord. Not to look prideful, but then I went. I went. And I laid hands on him. And something like scales fell from his eyes. God instantly, supernaturally healed Saul, made him Paul, and baptized him in the Holy Ghost. He, he burst out in tongues just like the rest of us. And that same man went on to establish the church and write most of the New Testament. That's your testimony when you listen to a directive and you do it. Amen. Now write this down. The devil's number one goal is to block your obedience. Everything he does is to get you in a place of non-compliance to the things of God. It can, be, it can be foundational. It could be a conviction or it could be, in fact, a directive. Um, how many want to do every directive he gives you? Yes. How many know we don't have much time anymore? Whatever it is we're doing, we're supposed to get with it and be faithful with it. Amen. So the directives are those things that are maybe special or unique to you. Not, not every command of God for you is in the Bible. Amen. You know, uh, Sharon and I were talking about this, uh, uh, a ministry that I'm, I'm familiar with. That, uh, there's a man who's a businessman and Lost everything, family, wife, business, everything. A broken man got into this ministry and the Lord began to restore his family, restored his business, and made him again a very, very wealthy man. And uh, he went to a financial advisor and the financial advisor told him, oh, don't tithe on that several million dollar surplus that you have. You should just put that in investments and just you know, give to the church as you want to. The problem is you've got a direct contradiction with what that financial advisor said yes. to what Scripture teaches. That's right. You don't give the Lord the sloppy leftovers. You give him the what? The, the first thing in dime. You, you honor him. It's a matter of honor. And, uh, you know... They sought counsel, spiritual counsel for that, but instead of heeding that counsel, they chose to listen to some unanointed financial counselor. And within a few years, they lost everything again. Everybody say directives. Say it with me, directives, foundations, convictions. 
Uh, don't ever choose the counsel of some human being out there over the counsel of God. Amen. It may sound good to the flesh. It's never going to work out for you. Amen. God has a way to help you. So what do you do? You need to honor the foundations. Yes. Amen. Anybody here maybe could do a better job honoring the foundations? No doubt. How about honoring convictions? Yes. Is he still dealing with you about something? Like Ananias, I mean, how many times has he had to tell you in a directive what to do and you're still kind of hedging on him? Make up your mind you're going to honor the foundations, honor the convictions, honor the directives in your life every single day. And there's just no limit to how blessed a life you can actually have. Favor and blessing. Say it with me. Favor and blessing and glory. Favor, opportunities open doors. Blessing, the power to succeed when you walk through those doors. The glory, the manifest presence and power and goodness of God. Uh, it, it really matters what we do with the things that we've heard. So if we're going to be faith people, we're going to have to be obedient people. There is no such thing as somebody, I'm a faith person that doesn't obey God. Obedience is the grandest and greatest and most supreme expression of faith. Say it with me. Faith is. Faith is. Faith is. Faith hearing, is. hearing. And believing. And, and saying. But the supreme expression is doing. Perfect faith. Not no faith, little faith, weak faith, you know, strong faith, great faith. Perfect faith. Say it with me. Perfect faith, Perfect faith. is a faith that obeys. It does what it's supposed to do. Now watch this. In Genesis chapter 3, the enemy comes to Adam and Eve trying to get them to what? To disobey the plain command of God. They didn't have the Bible, but they had something better at that point. They had God himself. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty good. Walking with God in the cool of the day. That's pretty good. Uh, there's a New Testament counterpart to that story. And it's in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But go to Matthew 4, uh, Matthew's version, if you would. For our faith to work, it has to be an obedient faith. For the blessing to manifest... We have to have an obedient faith. The foundations and the convictions and the directives of God. Now, you know, the devil doesn't really know everything God has planned for you. Do you realize that? But he knows God has plans to prosper you to give you a future and a hope. And he has a way to stop that in every person's life. All he has to do is incite you to disobey God. And the plans will be disrupted. It worked with Adam and Eve. But I knew he tried that same gimmick on Jesus. It didn't go so well. Look at verse uh, 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. A tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, how many believe that the Son of God, under the anointing, under the direction of the Father, could turn stone into bread? But not unless the Father has said for him to do it. Jesus said, I only what? I only say what my father say, and I only do. Yes, you see, that's the, that's the key here. So ability has nothing to do with it. Even the Lord himself, what, comes under, what, the restraints of the will of the Father. Do you see this? Now, there are other things that restrain him, like 
when he showed up with the power of God, but he could not heal many people except for a few sick folk because what? They dishonored him. They didn't believe. Even blasphemy came out of some of their mouths. Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is the devil trying to do here? He's trying to incite Jesus into disobedience. Come on, say it with me. The devil is trying to incite me into disobedience. Maybe it's the foundations, the convictions, or the directives, but that's his goal. It's the same gimmick and trick for everybody. It was the same for Adam and Eve. It's the same for you and for me. And it's amazing that, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when he does this, and I'm not. But it does surprise me that it keeps working. Come on now. Thousands of years he's been doing the same thing. He does not have any other tricks. The weapons of our warfare, on the other hand, are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have the ability to what? Bring captive every thought. We have the ability to cast down vain imaginations and every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. But the Bible tells us that his, his abilities are temporal. Limited. There's a powerful way you beat him every single time. You're too tired to go to church. You just tell him, no. Mm -hmm. Titus provided us that great revelation. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Amen? Titus didn't give us a 50-part sermon series like Pastor Art. He just simply said no. Come on, say it with me. No. Well, I think Sharon should go rob that bank. You're not, you know. What does she have to say? No. Not much of a temptation, is it? But what about the things in our lives that are temptations? He is trying to incite you to disobedience. Because that is what costs us God's favor, blessing, and his glory. Adam and Eve walked around the garden like little glory balls. Had no consciousness of nakedness. Had no need for clothing. It was a perfect environment. There was no thorns. There was no danger. There was no war. There was no famine. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was just them walking around with a full manifestation of the glory. The devil incited them to disobedience. When they disobeyed, guess what? The light went out. Ichabod came by revelation later on in the scripture, but guess what happened that day? Ichabod. The glory had departed. And now their eyes were open and they saw they covered themselves with fig leaves. How do you understand? That's never going to work. Uh -uh. Amen. What happens when they dry up in the fall? I mean, <laughs> what's it going to do? It's not going to work. So what does the Lord do? He provides a sacrifice and gives them skin. But as you've been taught, God's real end goal is to restore the clothing they had in the garden before the fall. The devil has not changed his tune, not changed his gimmicks. He still does not want to see you walking around with the glory of God. 
And he'll incite you to disobey the foundations, incite you to ignore convictions, and incite you to ignore his directives because he knows you will lose the blessing, you'll lose the favor, and you will not walk in the glory of God. The manifest presence, power, and goodness of God. And I'm telling you, our nation needs more than it's ever needed the manifest presence, power, and goodness of God. And it's not about what the world is doing. It's not about the world being the world. It's not about the world being evil. It's not about them having back deals in the back room, some smoky back room. It's not about the, the weaponization of the IRS or the FBI, which has been done in the past eight to ten years. It sure has been. It's about what the Christian is doing with the foundation and the conviction and what? And the directives of God. In other words, this world does not control how much glory manifests in this world. We control how much glory manifests in this world. And so the devil knows that. He saw what happened with Adam and Eve, and he wants you to take that step. So, you know, it just there's just no other way around this. When you've heard all your life, go to church, go to church, go to church, and you won't do it for whatever reason, guess what? You have cut short, you have played right into the devil's hands. You've made a Genesis 3 garden mistake. Mm -hmm. The same mistake. We should know better after thousands of years. Yes. And fill, the Bible's filled with examples of other people who took the bait as well. Amen. That not by not doing what he's told us to do, we're compromising God's empowerment, his favor on our lives and the glory of God. Look at somebody say it's just not worth it. Say it again, it's not worth it. Look at somebody tell them the devil doesn't have any new tricks. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. This doesn't mean go out and tempt God. It doesn't mean go to Appalachia and pick up some rattlesnakes to show how much faith you got. You know what happens when you get bit? And you get bit in the right place? And that toxin gets very quickly in your nervous system? You die. You died a fool. On the other hand, if you're Apostle Paul and you're doing the work of the ministry and a viper latches onto you, you can shake it off. That's what Mark 16 refers to. You know, where there's a drinking of poison, not on purpose. Amen. That's right. And being struck by some viper in the course of doing your ministry, you can have confidence that God is going to preserve and protect you. So what's he trying to get him to do again? He is trying to incite disobedience. God did not say, toss myself off of that pinnacle. Jesus answered, it is written. It is what? Written. It is what? Written. What's the response to the disobedience? Do not put your Lord, your God, to your test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and what? Worship. worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now look at verse 11. What does it say? I mean, verse, uh, yeah. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. There's a sermon there. I wonder what happens when you put the word of God in your mouth and you refuse to accept the devil's bait. I wonder if God sends supernatural support for you as well. 
Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. The devil, a fallen angel, is trying to incite you to disobedience. They come alongside to congratulate and minister. Amen? Because you're heirs of salvation. But watch this. Um, the Luke version tells us that they left Jesus until what? The devil left until an opportune time. That's right. Long before Arnold Schwarzenegger, the devil said, I'll be back. With what? The same gimmick. The same gimmick showed up in the Garden of Gethsemane. The same gimmick. Come on, say it with me. The same gimmick. You know, being a believer is not that complicated. Obey God, walk in the favor, blessing, and glory of God. Disobey God, amen, and compromise it all. With the same gimmick. Say it with me one more time. The same gimmick. To get you to disobey a foundation, a conviction, or what? Directive. Or a directive. And the directives you know, for each of us are going to be a little bit different based on what God has for us to do. The foundations are all the same. Amen? Mm-hmm. Convictions will be all the same on the do not version. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Especially as you grow in God. That's why you got to be careful judging people that are younger than you in the Lord because they haven't had the conviction yet. Well, God doesn't let me do that. You're missing the point. Have you ever considered you're at a different place than they are? You know, if the, if the Lord came after us when we were a month old and the Lord just shows everything that we're doing wrong, I mean, thank God He doesn't do that. On the other hand, when you've been saved 50 years, you probably should figure some things out by now. Amen. I've told this story before. I had a, a swim coach who was a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. If that's going to work out. Uh, you say, how did he run his program? Like, like a drill sergeant. Yeah. And uh, he was, he was barrel chest, this big guy. And one of our, one of my uh, you know, kids on the swim team would just call him Bones. He hated that. He was the opposite of Bones, but he would call him Bones. <laughs> And uh, he, would, he, would, he would pick on me something fierce. The only coach I ever had in my entire life that would do that. You know, it just came from a different world. And uh, he'd pick and pick. I mean, I'd, I'd do something, he didn't like it, and I noticed there were 15 other people that were doing it. You know, this person over here is goofing off. This person over here is hanging on the lane line. This person over here is not, not following instructions. Everybody is just kind of seeming they're doing their own thing. But he can zero in on me every single time like it was personal. Amen. And finally, I asked him, I said, what, what's up with this? He goes, what's up with this is, is that you're the one here with the ability to be a national champion. 99% of the people in this water don't have. I'm interacting with you based on your potential and what you could accomplish, not based on what their potential is. You see the difference? Yes. It's the same thing spiritually. Uh, so when you're older in the Lord... You know, he's not going to be uh, you know, less invasive in your space. Amen. But the important thing is to understand you know, how this operates, how this works. The closer you get, you should be seeing things dropping off of your life. Now, the devil's going to come back at you when? At an opportune time. What's he going to do? Amen. Hey, we have just solved the mystery of the ages. How every believer can be victorious every day of their life. He's going to come at you with one gimmick. 
hold up your finger. Like, this is a lot of mine. This is one gimmick. He is going to get you to ignore a foundation, a conviction, or a directive. Amen. And understand that you're not to look at other people as to whether you should do what God's told you to do or not. That's right. Amen. You, you cannot live your life based on somebody else's revelation, whether it's greater or more limited than yours. You have to live based on what, where God has brought you. Amen. Say it with me. One gimmick. One, gimmick. one trick. Every single day. day. What's he going to try to get you to do tomorrow? Disobey. Disobey. What about six years from now? Disobey. Disobey. What about next week? Disobey. Disobey. He really is kind of boring. Yeah. Amen. If he did Jesus this way, what's he going to do with you and me? Amen. What I want to do with uh, the time that I have left with you, say it with me, foundations, foundations. convictions, convictions. Directives. directives. Foundations are Bible commands we ought to have down by now. Mm-hmm. Let me just try that one more time. <laughs> foundations are Bible commands we ought to have down by now. Convictions are things you're doing that you should not be doing or things that you're not doing that he wants you to do. He convicts the world and he also convicts us of sin. Directives are spirit, uh, specific direction, uh, directional commands to us from the Holy Spirit. They can be day-to-day, they can be intermediate, they can be long-term. But we need to get used to doing what Brother Osteen used to say, you know, pay attention and obey every urging of the Holy Spirit. You have an urging to call, to write somebody, to visit somebody. You have an urging you know, to do something for them. You have an urging to pay for somebody's meal or buy their groceries, whatever it is. You need to get used to what? Obeying those urgings of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, there's a blessing when you obey them. And there's a great regret in your spirit when you walk away not doing what he directed you to do. Amen? There's a missed opportunity to show somebody else Christ that day. And when you do so, make sure you always give God the praise and make sure that you, you point out that he's directing you to do this. Yes. It's not about you looking like a good human being. Right. Can I have a better amen than that? It's not about you showing what a great human being you are. It's about showing what a great God that he yes. would take the time to speak to you to help somebody else. Yes. So I'm always amazed to see people that, uh, that I feel like on the other end have been praying for help. And here you come along. Boom. And then when you're a pastor, you hear things. Just because I don't disclose them doesn't mean I don't hear them. And the things that people in this ministry and around this ministry do, the Lord knows are being done. That's right. And they touch people's lives. Yes. And some of y'all are starting to get a reputation. Settle down. A good reputation. <laughs> yes, Amen. There are, there are four cultural influences the devil uses to try to stop your obedience. Bottom line. And we're in full-scale war right now. Say it with me, full-scale, full-scale war. One of the things I want to do and as this year uh, you know, begins to, to wrap up is make sure you're equipped to handle the warfare that's actually out there. Uh, you're more than conquerors. Amen. Come on, say it, I am more than a conqueror, than a conqueror. through him who loves me. You know what's going to happen. It's going to be a matter of trying to incite your disobedience. But these, these different forms of pressure come at us. 
to make it easy for us to, to yield or to give up. Oppression, amen, and depression. I think it's interesting that in the story of Jonah and the story when Elijah faced the, the prophets of Baal and defeated them, and one woman threatened his life, and he ran. Let me ask you a question. Did he run somewhere God told him to run, or did he run somewhere that God never told him to run? I want you to hear me and hear me well. I do believe in the value of medicine. I do believe in the value of technology. I am not one of those folks that will tell you that, that, that psychology has nothing to help us with because if it's done, grounded in the Word of God, the foundation of the Word, it can help people in seasons of their life, as can short-term stints on medication to help replenish very vital chemicals in your brain that you depleted because of pressure and stress and trauma in your life. These are real things. Christians should not be Pharisees about this stuff. A Christian should want to help somebody with however they can get help. That said, I'm going to tell you why a lot of Christians are depressed. Because just like Jonah was still depressed even after he obeyed God, Christians get depressed when they don't do what God tells them to do. Elijah's problem was not because he was in a battle. He was threatened. The problem is he ran straight out of the will of God for a short season. You disobey the foundations, the convictions, disobey the directives of God, and you're going to be depressed. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, what do you think? What do you think? Here's what you need to do. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe in giving canned responses because people are different. In different stages of life, different influences in life, different responsibilities in life. But when you come to me and I'll tell you that... Uh, you know, you used to do this, but you don't do it anymore. Start doing it again. You used to be in the house of God on Wednesday nights, but you're not there. And, then, and lo and behold, what happens time and time again is when they don't listen to the counsel or they don't listen to what the Word of God has to say. That's why it's so important for your church to be a word church and your pastors to be biblicists. What did God say? Because that's where the power is. But if you lay it out there and they won't do it, then guess what's going to happen? I'm telling you that a lot of depression in the body of Christ is self-inflicted. It's what I call self-depression, and it comes from not doing what God wants to. Thinking somehow that you'll figure it out, and, and you'll have your way, and everything will be great. And I'm telling you, the further you get away from obeying God, the more difficult it's going to become to come back from that. Amen. Say it with me. Disobey God. It's easy to get depressed at that point. You want to know why? Because you have open conscious knowledge that you're in diametric opposite to the will of God. There is no drug. There is no amount of alcohol. There is no amount of sex. There is no amount of entertainment, amusement, that can cover over that deep inside pain of you knowing that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that every person that's had a bout with depression is depressed because they're an open defiance of God. Don't quote me. Don't say that because that's not true. But I'm just telling you there are a lot of people that are depressed, that need not be depressed, and it's a pretty simple fix. And watch this, not just begrudgingly going into the will of God like Jonah. The depression lingered because he obeyed, but he was not willing. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the fat of the land. Amen. I am telling you, there's a powerful principle here. Um, what happened when Jesus beat back the temptation? 
He had supernatural ministry come his way. You beat back temptation, you know what's going to happen? Supernatural ministry is going to come your way. And the end of it's not going to be you being depressed and beside yourself. Amen. Say it with me. Four cultural influences. How many of you would agree with me? We're at war. <laughs> Come on, say it. We're at war. You have to be asleep 20 feet under the ground under a rock if you don't know. In a cave under the Atlantic Ocean. If you don't know, we're at war. Let me just give them to you just for, for starters tonight. Our culture, first of all, has been secularized. It has been secularized. Which means the intentional attempt to divorce the spiritual from the institutions of society. The reasons why schools now want to have special little closets and dressing rooms for people to come in, kids to come in and change their clothes so they can be trans in the school. Because they want to come out and defy what the parents are saying about that situation. A few years ago, that wasn't a problem. But now you have a serious issue with the, the spiritual being divorced from every element of society, from government to our education, from the arts, you name it. There are people pushing back because that's what God's called them to do. But by and large, you're living in a secular environment now. There are entire nations that have chosen to be secular, but listen to the top 10 least religious countries by percentage in the world. Now, I would hope that our missiologists and our missions directors are looking at this and targeting these places because this is pretty serious. The uh, least, top least religious country by percentage is the Czech Republic. 78.4% of the people there have no allegiance to God whatsoever. North Korea, you would expect this. 71.3%. Estonia, 60.2%. Japan, 60%. After World War II, they became very, very much secular in everything they do. Hong Kong, 54.7%. China, 518 That should not be a surprise to us. South Korea, should be a surprise to you, 46.6%. Despite the massive moves of God, still want nothing to do with God. In South Korea, Latvia, 45.3. What happened then? The Soviet influence years ago. The Netherlands, 44.3. Uruguay, 41.5. Now listen to the least, uh, 10 least religious countries based on uh, you know, total population. China, 720,100,000 people with nothing to do with God. And the people in our country want our country to become a one-party system like them. Secular. Japan. 74,780,000. Isn't that interesting? And the third most, third least religious country based on non believers is the United States of America. 62,310,000. No allegiance to God whatsoever. In fact, North Korea is 10th on the list. We think of the hermit kingdom as this horrible place that needs to be evangelized. <laughs> we have four times the number of non-believers in our own country. So the problem is not North Korea. Amen? The problem is the secularization of our own land here. Don't you let this society cause you to think that way. There is no such thing as separation of church and state. 
There's no separation of church and education. Education and church and business. Church and the arts. We're called to have dominion. We're called to rule and reign. And when you're in the public field of education, uh, you're in the public field of being a state or a federal worker, yes, you've got to use a lot of wisdom in the situation. But now we're going beyond even that to radical wokeism. If you don't toe the line, you're gone. Thousands of Navy personnel were let go because they wouldn't take the vaccine. You know what they did last week? Without ceremony, they readmitted all the SEALs. They dismissed. Hypocrites. That's all you can say. We need you, so we're going to overlook this. You know what? You should have valued them in the first place and honored their own opinion. I have a family member who was forced to take the vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer or pro-vaxxer. I'm just telling you the way it is. You need to let people make their own decisions as human beings. And to not do so means you're this conglomerate, secular society. We are Borg. Do what the masses tell us to do. You need to do what the Holy Ghost tells you to do. And this family member felt really resistant to do it, but they were young and they had a job and the employer said, you take it or we're firing you. He took it now and he wanted to be a surgeon and now his hands are like this. Mm-hmm. And four different neurologists have told him this is because of the contents of that vax. Mm-hmm. I told you, I'm pro-healthcare. I am pro-technology. But there are lots of people who had in their heart convictions about not doing that because they had something coming from the Holy Ghost. Look at somebody say, the Holy Ghost should be your leader. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? This is, this is real stuff happening. And the balance for you is to try to honor secular authorities. Amen. And do what's necessary. Not to put yourself in a bad position at the same time without you becoming secularized yourself. How many will pray for my relative? Yes. That his dream will become a reality. Um, Don't you, just because it's out there, go along with it. Well, that's right, you know, the church and the state shouldn't have any. Listen, you know, Thomas Jefferson wasn't even in the country. At the time, he's ascribed to have been the proponent of this doctrine. And listen to me, the wall of separation in his mind and the father's mind was not about the church encroaching on the state. The entirety of the Constitution is to stop the state from encroaching on the church. But when the state comes in and tells the church what it can and can't do, that's secularism coming in. You can wrap it in and daily broadcast from Frankfurt in compassion, quoting all the dead people. Of course, we don't want to quote all the babies that were aborted that day. That's right. I love consistency in government. You say, why would he do that? Because the abortion lobby has funded his campaign. Well, I like him. I voted for him. That's your business. Might as well be part of the mob as a support, the slaughter of the unborn. You've got to be careful. You are in this world. You are not of this world. Amen. Well, I say, I'm in this world, I'm in this world. but I'm not, of it. I'm not of it. So you'll see people of varying degrees in the body of Christ who have allowed themselves to be secularized, detaching the spiritual from society's systems and structures. That can't be you. Amen. Say it to me. I'm a believer.
There's no reason for people in the body of Christ uh, with the wisdom of God that they can't do what they're supposed to do. Amen. Without compromising on who they are in Christ. Amen. Amen. Kelly and I were in Savannah, <laughs> Georgia. It's a nice place to visit. Uh, sand gnats, you don't want to live there. Amen. It's just humid, sand gnats everywhere. Uh, wonderful people, very, very friendly, very godly. And, um, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget when we had uh, Governor Ashcroft, who was uh, eventually become senator, and eventually he was uh, the attorney general who wrote the Patriot Act after 9-11 actually happened. And uh, while he was governor, he agreed to come down and do a missions uh, event for us. And the pastor didn't think that uh, he would come. And I said, well, it's not going to hurt to ask him. So we did. <laughs> and... Uh, so he comes down there and he says, uh, I'll be traveling with the four of us plus two uh, state troopers out of uniform and a, and a state vehicle, a van. Could you imagine this? All the way from Jefferson City, Missouri to Savannah, Georgia. He said, I don't want an honorarium. He said, I don't want any expenses. I'll have a Supreme Court justice from Missouri with me, a lawyer friend of mine, a business and one other friend. We, we want to know if you can hook us up to do a, a deep sea fishing expedition. Well, I mean, yeah, right there on the coast. And so they did that, and that was their compensation. That was what he did. And he came and did a banquet for us. And in one night, I believe the, the gross receipts were like $42,000 uh, back in 1990. Wow. Amen. And the profit of that went to Speed and Light, supporting our missionaries, their equipment needs. And... Um, he came to speak for us on the Sunday morning. He went to another friend's uh, church that uh, Sunday night. But on Sunday morning, he was talking to uh, one of our businessmen. He was recently retired, a big plumbing operation in Savannah. And, uh, and George said, he said, Governor, he said, can I ask you a question? He said, yes, George. He is the biting Missouri you know, act, you know, dialect. And uh, George says, can, Governor, can, can you be a Christian and a lawyer? And they're watching this. I'm like, I'm glad I came today. This is interesting. What's he, what's he going to say? And he, it's like he paused forever. And he said, George, yes, but it's really, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same thing in whatever business you're called to. And you be a Christian and a nurse. Can you be a Christian and a doctor? Can you be a Christian and a business owner? Can you be a Christian and a teacher? Yes. It may not be simple all the time, no. depending on the environment that you're in. Say it with me, secularization. secularization. Number two is spiritualized. The culture has been spiritualized. That does not mean the Judeo-Christian ethic. It means the resurgence of false gods as people have turned from the one true living God. Yes. And who's turned from the one true living God? The world? Who turns from the living God? The Christian, the believer, the child of God. The world doesn't turn from the living God. So watch this. As we turn away from him and write devotion, these other false gods pop up again. I believe that you even pray this very thing in the morning. It's very, very real in our society. So you have all these false gods that are operating, all these uh, you know, hyper-spirituality going on, but none of it's tied to the God of the Bible. All kinds of things, from having celebrations of, 
of worshiping the bull and, and Baal worship and Satanism coming in. I think yeah, there's even a cartoon right now, Kate, just came out. Little demon. Little demon purposely trying to seduce, you know, this culture. Are you here? And um, you say, how can, I, how can I identify this? Well, you know, what you're talking about is all manner of, of self-pursued you know, spiritual activity, but some of it is, is involved in, in actually the celebration of the dead and then communication with the dead. As a Christian, be careful wanting a dead relative to show up in your dream or yes. show up in your room and talk to you. Uh, be careful with that. Have the mindset that David had. He's not coming back to me, but I will go to him. He's in a real place. I'm in a real place. We are not in the same geographical, spiritual location right now, but we will be. And they're having a pretty good time over there. Amen. Um, I feel sorry for them. Are you here tonight? But when you, you go that way, you have to be careful that you're not slipping into some of that influence out there. And I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's, in all the years I've been alive, this is the most blatant, uh, you know, hyper spiritual environment this nation's ever seen. And it's going to always be divorce them. And not only will it be divorce them in Judeo-Christian ethic, you'll see this spirit, this spirit hates the Jews and hates the Christians with a passion. Amen. Say it with me. Spiritualized. Spiritualized. Number three, this won't come as a surprise to you. Sexualized. Not sexism. Discrimination based on gender. But sexualization. The resurgence of false gods is followed by the saturation of a society to focus on human sexuality. Which is awful, awesome, uh, you know, often part and parcel with, with Satan rituals. Spiritualism. But uh, it's, it's unrestrained, lasciviousness, the expression of this, very similar to what is traditionally called hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure and, and sensual self-indulgence. Uh, that was the contribution of the Greek culture. You know there was a contribution of the Anglo culture. And the contribution across the world of the Anglo culture was not just the English language, but English values. You don't realize today, but you are blessed because England colonized this place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. And uh, right now, you'll have people openly saying things like, the queen is the poster child for white supremacy and white abuse. I'm like, just shut up. You know, just be quiet and let the family do what they need to do. Because I promise you that what you're saying, she didn't do anything like that. And if you go far back in any of your history in here, you're going to find oppression. Yeah. I don't care where you are. Uh, go way back. The, the, the history of the islands over there is, is white on white murder and white on white oppression. Be careful. You know, Christians should be, you know, letting their light shine, letting their compassion show at times like this. Uh, I just don't understand people want to use every opportunity in this country to try to divide people. Amen. Now watch this. If 
we had been colonized by the Hellenists, we'd be a very, very different culture right now overall. It's unrestrained. And what you need to hear and understand is, is what a lot of people won't talk about, a lot of churches won't mention, is that sexual behavior and activity outside of marriage invites communion with the demonic. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Amen. And I'm not going to make this little sidebar and a big deal. I'm just simply telling you that if the devil cannot get you with secularization and he can't get you with, with, with spiritualism, he'll try to get you with the sexualization of this, of this nation. And I'm telling you that, that when people go outside of their marriage and they behave like this and they get themselves involved and, and just, you know, racked by things like porn, and guess what? It's everywhere. They're saying now that, that our children are being exposed to as early as the first or second grade because of technology. What's that all about? It's all intentional. Amen. Here we're supposed to be communing with God. And through the sexualization of the culture, people are communing with demons. Now, that's not going to work out for us believers, is it? No. Look at somebody and say, communion with demons will not help you spiritually. Amen. What's it designed to do? What is secularization designed to do? Get you to disobey. What is spiritualism designed to do? Get you to disobey. What is sexualization designed to do? Get you to disobey. These are just weapons of the overall goal that get you to disobey God. Amen. Do you know that God, will, if you ask him, he'll deliver you from all three of these. Yes, he will. Amen. Number four is socialized. It's very simple. You think the socialism is great because there'll be a, you know, a top pot roast in every pot and free phones for everybody. And it didn't work that way. The government does not create wealth. The government takes wealth and redistributes based on their, their policy, based on their belief system. Write this down. All socialism is is man's attempt to meet his own needs without God. Tower of Babel, we don't need God. People believe this the same way today. And understand that when you, you hear people like Bernie Sanders and others screaming about these things, what you're hearing are people that believe that they can get along just fine without God. Um, this will come as a shock to you, but Jesus taught and spoke of capitalism in the Bible. I thought Jesus was a socialist. No, read the Bible. They'll be what? Marrying and giving in marriage? And they'll be what? Buying and selling. And in fact, Scripture tells us that unjust jail, uh, scales are an abomination to him. That you have a device that's inaccurately weighing out whatever measure you're trying to give, whether it's some kind of grain or something like that, ripping people off. It's an abomination to God. It's also the same concept as shalom or, or parity. If, uh, you know, a whole chicken is five bucks, then you, you give the five bucks and what do you get? You get the chicken. If you walk out of the store with a chicken underneath your arm, that's not parity. Um, socialism, you've heard, the, you've heard the phrase that, uh, that you know, all the boats that are on the water rise with the water. Socialism takes all the boats down. Capitalism takes 99% of them up and gives opportunity for the others if they want it. Uh, is there abuse in it? Yeah, is there selfishness in it? Yeah. 
Of course there is. Has there always been? Yes. You're going to have to understand this. The devil is after the minds of our young people. Big time. Many of our professors right now across the country, and I met some at our own university here, they are hardcore socialists in their, in their, in their worldview. I thank God we got people that are born again spirit filled on campus as well. Amen. 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 The salt of the earth. Hallelujah. Paul doesn't know how he got to Murray State. We know. <laughs> Amen. We know. Look at somebody say, we know. Um, it's, it's important. So, you know, without uh, spending too much time on this, that's what this system is, is designed to kick God out and, and meet our own needs. And it never works. How many times in the history of the world has socialism worked? Anybody know the answer to that question? Uh, but what about over the Netherlands? Do you know the Netherlands tried this in the 90s? And they say today we're just now recovering from our stupidity. And today you'll hear people on the political platform espouse the wonder of socialism over there in the Netherlands. And not even listen to what their own people are saying. But they said it was a total unmitigated disaster. Causing inflation rates, causing all kinds of issues for the people over there. That's what happens when you try to do something without God. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, keep God in the center of your life. All four of these are designed, one thing, to get you to disobey God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's awful quiet in this frigidary church today. Say it with me. It's the same gimmick. It's the same. same trick. Same trick. From, the very beginning, From the very beginning, through the ministry of Jesus, ministry. to today, the devil's goal is to get me to disobey, to disobey the foundations, the convictions, or the directives of my God. And what will he do? He will use these gimmicks and tricks. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, it's not going to work on me. Just tell them it's not going to work, bless God. Now, if somebody has still not returned to the house of God because of COVID, has it worked on them? Yep. Yeah. You're still in the house of God four decades later and you still don't do anything? You still don't serve? Has it worked on you? Yeah. It's worked on you. Amen. God's been convicting you of a sin for years and you're still doing it? Has it worked on you? Has the gimmick worked on you? Yes. The thing you need to ask yourself is what am I missing in the favor and the blessing and the glory of God by continuing down that path? Amen. A few years ago, uh, I wrote an article called The Selfishness of Skipping Church. Uh, today, it's, it's been read almost three-quarters of a million times. Uh, pastors have re-blogged it all over the country. And the essence of that is that to come to church thinking it's for you is the mistake. You're not here for you. So the devil tells you that you didn't take all that, you don't need to come to church faithfully. What are you doing? You're robbing yourself of favor, blessing, and glory. But you're also robbing other people of your gifts and abilities, your That's compassion, right. your prayer. Right. Amen. Amen. You may sing like a frog, but your enthusiasm just really excites people and encourages them. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> glory to God. Uh, you come to church according to the writer of Hebrews to spur one another on to love. In good works. 
It didn't say anything about you. Even though you are blessed and what? Because we go back to James and what does James says? You will be blessed in your in doing. Come on, shout out. I'll be blessed. Always blessed in my doing. Come on, say it. I'll always be blessed in my doing. Now, let's not take the bait. Amen. Now, you're uh, in church on a Wednesday night. Uh, you're probably doing pretty good with the foundations. How are you doing with the convictions and the directives? I don't, I don't know because I know what saith the Lord here for all of us, but I don't know what the Lord saith to you personally. Watch this. Defy this book and you will live a depressed life. Defy the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You will be depressed. Defy the directives. You'll be just like Jonah. Let's, let's be willing and obedient. I mean, come on, say it. Willing and obedient with every foundation, every conviction, every conviction, and every directive. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give him a hand clap and let's thank him for it.